if we approached the cross, the first thing what we, we would be struck by was this sheer number of spectators. Where there's a body, vultures will gather, and then, as today, people love uh, to be entertained by violence. And on this day, there was plenty of it. Where there's a body, vultures gather, and, and th this would be a, a, a day where death would really capture people's uh, attention and would capture their emotions. As we moved in closer, we'd see the religious leaders. We would see people with smug self-righteousness. We would see people with hatred. We would be moved by uh, the deliberate hatred of some, and then we would be moved by others in the crowd who really were just caught up in the, the attacks, and they would ignorantly chime in with all that was taking place, heaping their insults on him as well. And then there were the confused. They were probably the most pitiable of those in the crowd. They were those who just seemed confused. They just seemed disillusioned by all that was taking place. As you neared the gasping frame of Jesus, couldn't get too close because the Roman guards would block your path. But as you stood there, you would see the blood that covered Jesus' body and you would be moved again just by the sheer amount of it. You would be moved by the, the, the torn flesh, the obvious wounds that uh, had beaten his body. You would hear cries of pain. You would hear shouts of anger. It was an, an horrific scene. But as you moved closer amidst all of that shouting, all of the insults, all of the, the cry of, cries of agony, as you got just close enough, there would be something unexpected. What's that smell? Could it really be nard at a place like this? It's a, it was one of the most beautiful smells that you had, ever, you had ever smelled, but you hadn't smelled it very often. You might have caught just a, a whiff of it at the coronation. You might have caught it just in passing at a royal funeral procession. But nard was a, a beautiful and a captivating smell. It was a stunning fragrance. And on that day, as you got close enough to the body of Jesus Christ, you would smell that, that nard and you would say, where is that coming from? At a place like this, at a time like this, could it really be from the body of Jesus Christ? And as you pondered that smell, as you breathed in that fragrance and that aroma, those questions would be going through your mind. Why here? Why now? And is it really coming from this bloodied body on a cross before me? 
To understand why, we need to back up a couple of days to an event that's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to follow along with me. I'll be reading from Matthew 26, verses 1 to 16. Matthew 26, 1 to 16. When Jesus had finished saying all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. She poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. We're at a time when most people in Jerusalem were busy making preparations for what would be for them one of the most significant periods in their year the time of Passover. It's when Jews celebrate their great deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Great time of celebration. But with just two days away, there were some who were gathered, and they were, not, they were making other preparations. Their preparations were not for celebrating their freedom from slavery. Verse 3 shows a group of chief priests and elders gathering in the palace of the high priest. Their preparations were to shut Jesus up, to shut him down. They don't want his interference. They don't want his message of grace and forgiveness anymore. They were looking for someone who'd be more of a political ally. They were looking for someone who might shore up their position, shore up their power. When Jesus didn't say what they liked, they acted to shut him up. And they hatch a plot here to kill him. Whenever there's a door of opportunity for sin, it's never long before someone, and often many people, will walk through that door. And that's exactly what we see in our text. In verse 14, Judas famously goes to the chief priests looking to sell Jesus out. Looking to earn a profit in turning this this man over to his enemies. 
His act is, much, is one as much of revenge as it is of profit because he really doesn't get much money. He's not much of a negotiator. He's just seen one of Jesus' disciples give a year's, uh, a, a year's worth of, in terms of income to, to Jesus and pouring out some perfume on him. And yet, he doesn't go to one of, one of the disciples. He doesn't go to one of his followers. He goes to one of his enemies. And he sells Jesus off cheap. He's willing to settle for 30 silver coins. Ironically, 30 silver coins was exactly the amount that was specified in Exodus 21 that was to be given as a compensation for the death of a slave. Not a lot of money. On the very week Israel was to be celebrating their deliverance from slavery, their Savior, Jesus Christ, was being auctioned off like a slave by a man he had treated like a brother. The actions of those who plotted his death and Judas who betrayed him, they were on the extreme side. We would look at them and say, wow, those were, those were really extreme actions. But the disciples' response was far more common. They wanted to domesticate Jesus. They were for Jesus, just not too much. They believed in Jesus, just didn't want too much obligation, too much responsibility, too much cost. When they see Mary pouring out perfume over Jesus' head, verse 8 8 says, they were indignant. They just started to boil inside. This was too much. This was over the top, and it brought, I believe, conviction in their own hearts. It brought a sense of frustration. It brought a sense of self-righteousness and defensiveness. They wanted a little bit of Jesus, just nothing that would interrupt their lives too much. In that sense, the disciples' response here is classic Canadian, right? This is classic Canadian religion, just a little bit of Jesus. They wanted maximum miracles and minimum, minimum uh, demands from him. They wanted a domesticated Jesus. They wanted to tame Jesus. And then there was a woman of verse 7. She's at the center of the passage and she stands out from everyone else in the text. In verse 7, she approaches Jesus with an alabaster flask. Alabaster is this soft, kind of uh, uh, white, semi-translucent rock that you could could carve fairly easily. And they would often take uh, take alabaster and carve it into many precious things. And here it's been carved into a, a flask. It's filled with what we learn elsewhere is a pound, a full pound of pure nard. Nard was an expensive perfume, and it was imported from northern India. This flask has likely been kept in her family as a precious heirloom. It is costly. It is extravagant. It's luxurious. Usually, you would take just a few drops of this, and people would feel and uh, could breathe in the fragrance from a distance. But she doesn't do that. She goes overboard, 
right? Mark's gospel describes her actually breaking the flask, probably breaking the neck of that flask, saying, I'm, I'm using all this up in one shot. It's done for. I'm not, even, I'm not even keeping the jar that it came in. She poured it out over Jesus' head and body. Extravagant. Reckless even. The entire house would have been then filled with the fragrance. People would have known that there was something going on in there. It smelled too good. And even days later, as Jesus hung on the cross, they would see him covered in blood. They would see him battered and bruised. They would see the sweat. They would hear the cries of agony. But there would be this beautiful aroma, this beautiful fragrance. So why did she do it? Obviously, she saw something in Jesus that was different. One of the clues might be in verse 6. Since they were in the town of Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, how would you like to try and get a date if your name was Simon the leper? Right? This was, this was not your average setting here. In case you didn't, this wasn't clear already, people didn't normally go and have, have meals with someone called Simon the leper. People didn't usually get invitations, and if they did, they would somehow lose them and not respond to them. This Simon the leper has almost certainly been healed by a touch from Jesus Christ. He has been gloriously restored, gloriously cleaned, and yet the name stands. He wants to be remembered for who he was and now who he has become. He's still Simon the leper. Mary saw what Jesus had done to Simon, and it filled her with awe, filled her with amazement. She recognized that this one that sat before her was worthy, weighty, powerful, and she was in awe of him. She also saw what Jesus did to Lazarus. John's gospel tells us that this woman's name is Mary. She is the sister of Martha. She's the sister of Lazarus. And it has only been weeks, probably, since she attended Lazarus' funeral. Now she's sitting around the dinner table with a former leper and someone she had wit- whose, whose death she had witnessed. He'd been dead for four days when Jesus asked for the tomb to be opened, and he dramatically said, Lazarus, come out! And he walked out. That changed Mary. It changed how she saw Jesus Christ. She realized that this one has power over life and death. He declared to her that he was, he is the resurrection and the life. Mary saw all that and it changed her. And she came to the same conclusion that Cambridge scholar C.S. Lewis came to. When he said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Christianity, is, if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It can't just be okay, nice. 
It can't just be somewhere in the middle. It is either to be rejected or it is to be wholeheartedly embraced because it proclaims a salvation that is far too great for us to be lukewarm about, to be sitting on the fence over. Mary had heard Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Mary had come to realize what Jesus was talking about. She had come to realize that Jesus was, in fact, her hidden treasure. And she wanted all of him. She wanted to give herself in devotion to give herself in worship. She'd also heard Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and saw and sold all that he had and bought it. She now realized that Jesus was that pearl of great price. She realized how precious he was. She realized how worthy he was. She realized that he was, yes, her savior, but What a glorious Savior. And she gave her best to him. She worshipped him. And she did so extravagantly. But Jesus gets the final verdict. A lot of voices. A lot of people talking. A lot of people acting. A lot of emotion. And Jesus speaks into into the gathering. While the other disciples are still indignantly chastising her, he rebukes them. He says in verse 10, she has done a beautiful thing for me. What she has done is precious. What she has done is right and good. He declared her devotion to him as even greater priority than the pressing needs of the poor, the very valid and good uh, needs and priority that they, they otherwise would have. And in verse 12, he adds, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare for my funeral. She didn't know the day. She didn't know the details. But she knew that a a Savior deserved her best. She knew that someone with power over the grave deserved worship, even extravagant worship. She knew that a king must be anointed, and if anyone was worthy of the title king, surely it was this Jesus who's... Who, who we refer to as Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus the Christ. As Jesus hung on the cross, we hear the voices of those who wanted to shut him up. And we hear them today as well. We hear them in our own hearts when we are tempted to go our own way, when we are tempted to crowd out or shut out the voice of Jesus who would speak into our lives as Lord would rightly direct our hearts and lives as king. As Jesus hung on the cross, we hear the voices of those who sold him out. And we hear them today as well. We hear them in our own hearts when we are tempted to compromise. When we are tempted to give over our right response to the will of God and his invitation in our life for lesser things. Lesser things like a few silver coins. As Jesus hung on the cross, we hear the voices of those who wanted to domesticate him. 
those who wanted to tame him and just make him the nice Jesus. And we hear those same voices today. We hear those voices in our heart when we tell ourselves not to be so extreme, not to be so caught up with this, to keep things in balance. Just a little bit of Jesus is all we really need, we tell ourselves. As Jesus hung on the cross, however, amidst all of the, the blood, all of the sweat, all of the shouting, all of the horrific nature of that scene, we smell a beautiful fragrance. We smell perfume. We smell luxurious, rich devotion. It's the smell of Jesus' anointing as king. It's the smell of Jesus' preparation for burial. For without this death, there could be no life. Without him taking our punishment, we could not be freed from that punishment. It's the smell of the pleasing aroma of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. And it's a pleasing aroma that we can smell today too. We feel the fragrance in our own hearts whenever we feel the devotion that he, he inspires. And so as we reflect on the death of Jesus Christ for us, we reflect on his worth. We reflect on his weightiness. We refre- reflect on how precious this one who would take our place really was. And we reflect on the fact that he was sold to the lowest bidder. This one who willingly became a slave in our, our place was auctioned off like a slave that we might be set free from slavery. Not set free to go back to our sin, to go back to our mess, to go back to our own old ways, but set free to worship with a devotion that the world would look at and would say, that's kind of taking things too far. A worship that would make the world indignant even. That, that seems wasteful. That seems, that seems extreme. But a worship that is worthy of the glory of this great Savior who died in our place that we might be set free by his blood. Amen. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, often our hearts are as divided as those voices around the cross were. But Jesus is worth so much more than that. Father, I pray that you would help us to treat him with the weight he deserves. He died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. He counted the cost. And he gave everything. Help us to live in gratefulness as those who have been saved by his sacrifice. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to reject the voices that would call us to compromise, that would call us to complacency. Jesus Christ is our healer. He's our deliverer. He's our savior. He's our king. He's our hidden treasure and our pearl of great price. So, Father, may our lives be a fragrant offering before him.
For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.